Hello and welcome to WRI's Big Ideas Into Action podcast. I'm Nicholas Walton and in this episode we're looking at women's rights in communally held lands. We'll hear from Mexico, Indonesia and Cameroon about how the lack of rights holds women and their communities back. They cannot have technology, they cannot get access to the market, they cannot get access to the finance, they cannot get access to capacity building. Thankfully, as recognition of these challenges grows, things are changing. Many governments have started to pass laws that acknowledge customary land rights. Deep in the mountains of Oaxaca State in southern Mexico is the village of La Trinidad Ixtlan. The people there are ethnic Zapotecan, and the community-managed forests that surround the village are their main source of income, from timber and firewood to furniture making and even some forest ecotourism. Although most community members with rights and responsibilities connected to the forest are men, gradually more women are taking on these positions. Judith Garcia Ruiz works as a forester with an organization called Uzachi, which was formed to help manage these communal forests. She says this active role with women and men having the same rights gives her great satisfaction. Xochitl Maribel Santiago Martinez says she's now able to request access to land and feel supported even in difficult situations, such as if somebody falls ill. She says she has a voice in the community and feels valued. As the case of La Trinidad shows, a determined effort to ensure that women have rights, responsibilities and a recognised voice in communities, as well as firm property rights, pays dividends. Celine Salcedo-Lavinia was the co-author of a recent WRI report examining the issue. If you look at the data, there are around 2.5 billion to 3 billion people in those communities around the world. So they rely on land and natural resources primarily for their livelihoods and survival. And of that number, more than half are women. The women play vital roles in their communities um, as principal household food producers. The data shows that 70% of smallholder farmers in the developing world are women, from which 80% of the food is grown in small farms. In these communities, women as well are responsible for collecting resources such as firewood, water, wild plants, and herbs. They then are holders of traditional knowledge on forest resources and ecological management, which is important for climate change and protecting the environment. Like most women in the world, they are almost exclusively responsible for children's nutrition and health. So I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that um, food security and building adaptive capacities in these communities fall largely on the shoulders of women. Despite Uh, their roles and the benefits they provide to the community, only 14% of agricultural landowners globally are women. A study of 80 community-based tenure regimes found that um, less than a third extends community membership rights to women. There do exist communities where women have land rights, uh, despite those grim statistics. And so we wanted to study those where women have relatively robust and secure rights to land to find out, you know, what does secure land rights look like in practice? What is the scope and extent of those rights? And second, and more importantly, to tease out enabling factors that allowed women to realize rights in practice. 
and then we try to synthesize those findings into approaches and practices that can be applied in developing policies and interventions to improve women's land rights. And that was Celine Sacedo-Lavinia. We'll hear more from her later. First, we'll head off to Cameroon. Cecile Ingebet of the African Women's Network for Community Management of Forests spoke to me from the town of Edea in Cameroon. She works on exactly this issue and explained to me why it's particularly important at this time when challenges such as the COVID pandemic are making life more difficult for many. The main challenge is, first of all, access to their communities because of very bad roads. The second is problem related to COVID-19 pandemic, where they have a lot of problem now accessing cities to sell their products. And the agricultural practices are still uh, very traditional, and it is complicated with the climate change. The situation can get worse now that the rains have started again. It's not very easy for those communities and we have to add into that the insecurity of land for the women and the youth. And what are the difficulties in Cameroon that are thrown up by that issue? The impact is that the, the poverty is growing up. Yeah, the poverty is growing up and we are also afraid of coming back to 20 years ago with famine because of all this destruction of the agricultural production. And also, of course, women are losing uh, their production, so they don't have a, a living. They don't earn a living now. And uh, yeah, it's economic problems, health problems, communication issues. And if you add all that, you will see that the poverty is getting worse. You know, they are worsening the situation of those communities. So what difference would it make if women did have better property rights? The difference is huge. Nicola, the difference is huge. If women have property rights, they can access better conditions of production because now the tools they are using are still very uh, traditional tools. If they want to buy an equipment which is more or less uh, better than what they are using currently, they cannot access those loans because they will not give insurance that they will pay back the loans if the security to land where they want to invest is not guaranteed. They cannot have technology. They cannot get access to the market. They cannot get access to the finance. They cannot get access to even the capacity building. They cannot get access to goods, production materials. Who can invest in something with that security? If they don't have secure access to land, nobody can assist them in improving the investment because they cannot recover what they will be investing on. That is the problem. That is the problem. And all these conflicts which are arising now with the return of people from the city to the villages because they have lost their jobs because of COVID-19 pandemic, they lost their job, they are coming back to the villages. The situation is just worsening uh, women's uh, issues on security to land. If they don't have security to land, they cannot invest in those lands. It means they will never improve what they are doing. They cannot improve their production. They cannot get access to adequate material, production material. They will stay as they are, that is what, uh, having a piece of land, 
doing food agriculture for their family. And if possible, the leftover is for the market. But now even accessing market is becoming a problem because of this lockdown. The lockdown is coming back. The government is saying, we don't need you out. You have to stay home. You have to do this. You have to do that. But you don't have accompanying measure. For them, it's not difficult for us to explain or to understand. They will not do anything sustainable. They cannot upgrade their economic capacities. They cannot improve it because they don't have security to land. The bank will never give them credit. Cooperative will never give them credit. And, and that's it. And what work is being done to improve this situation? Oh, not that much. I'm sorry to say not that much. Of course, the advocacy is on and the awareness is getting better and better. But, you know, to change the situation, we need to go for reforms. We have to reform the land law. We have to reform forest law. And we have to make sure that the state law is not conflicting with the traditional practices. Because the problem is that I always say that the law is neutral to that, to gender or to women. It's neutral. The law says all Cameroonians have the right to get land, to access land. But the traditional practices are different from what the law itself is saying. In the traditional practices, women cannot own land. It is completely in opposition, in conflict with what the official law is saying. And if the official law says women and men have the right to own land, that makes a lot of difference. But they just say all Cameroonians have the right to access land. They don't even say own land, but access to land, to forests, and to natural resources. It doesn't make any, any sense. Are there any signs that the situation will change? You know, in Cameroon, for example, we started, the government started the reform of the, of the land law. I think it was 2015 or 2013. I have to check. I don't remember very well. Until now, there is nothing coming out. But at least we have submitted proposals on the new law that should be taken care of. And we hope it will happen. But we also have the information that we cannot have, we don't have to put expectation very hard because the situation is very complex. There are a lot of influences, and so we don't know. We hope it will get out. But what we have started doing as feminists or advocate or civil society organization is working with the traditional chief and head of families to show them the importance of, of the women to have security to land. Because if the women do not have security to land, as they are one of the main economic actors in the family, the economy cannot be improved, the health cannot be improved, the living condition cannot be improved. So we are working now with the traditional chiefs, we are working with head of families to let them see what is wrong in the practices that are going on and how we can improve those practices so that we improve the situation of women related to property right to land. That was Cecile Njabert in Cameroon on the complications involved in changing laws that impact women's land rights. You're listening to WRI's Big Ideas Into Action podcast. 
Next, we head off to the giant island of Sumatra in Indonesia. Septrina Friska-Tobing conducted some research for WRI Indonesia in Gajar Bertalut, a remote village many hours from the nearest town in Sumatra, with around 200 households. The village is located around six hours from the capital of the province. The only access is through boat. So according to the people that we talked to, uh, they said that they have been living in the area for generations. Land is a critical issue in Gajar Bertalut. The community depends on the forest for its living, but the lands are now within a government-designated wildlife reserve. This has reduced their access. What's also special is that this is a matrilineal society where property passes down the female side of families. Septrina says this has allowed women to have a decision-making capacity extending to all the family's needs and activities. When we did the research, we reflected a lot on how women are able to make decisions, at least at the household level, because of the tradition that they have, the matrilineal one, so the land will be passed along the female line. Women have their voice and have the power or the influence to make the decision at household level. Because when we talk about land, like it is not only about the land itself as an object, but it extends to a bigger picture of the livelihood of the women and also their families. So uh, for many communities, that especially those who depend on forests, land is a very important aspect of their life where they grow their plants, where they harvest their produce. And then like after they harvest the produce, it's also about like selling them and maybe using them to pay debt from the financial resources. That's how they manage their daily lives. That's how they pay the school fees or to afford health services. So the question about like how, how that impacts the women, it is not limited to like how women access or manage the, the land that they own or that they can access, but also extends to the bigger picture of how they manage the livelihood. Uh, of their households and uh, yeah, make decisions for themselves as well. Although such a matrilineal system is rare, Septrina says the way land is increasingly being sold to large commercial farming interests is making it rarer still, giving more decision-making power to the men at the expense of their wives. When we did the research, we reflected a lot on how women are able to make decisions at least at the household level, because of the tradition that they have, the matrilineal one, so the land will be passed along the female line. Women have their voice and have the power or the influence to make the decision at household level. Because when we talk about land, like it is not only about the land itself as an object, but it extends to a bigger picture of the livelihood of the women and also their families. So uh, for many communities, that especially those who depend on forests, land is a very important aspect of their life where they grow their plants, where they harvest their produce. And then like after they harvest the produce, it's also about like selling them and maybe using them to pay debt from the financial resources. That's how they manage their daily lives. That's how they pay the school fees or to afford health services. The question about like how, how that impacts the women, it is not limited to like how women access or manage the, the land that they own or that they can access, but also extends to the bigger picture of 
how they manage the livelihood uh, of their households and uh, yeah, make decisions for themselves as well. Septrina Friska-Tobing. So we've heard about women's land rights in Mexico, Cameroon and now Indonesia. It's time to return to the lead WRI author in our new report on the issue, Selena Salcedo Lavinia. She says it isn't simply about equity, but about the strong practical benefits from extending these rights. If you're familiar with the Sustainable Development Goals, apart from SDG or Goal 5 on gender equality, um, Goal 1 on no poverty or ending poverty, and Goal 2 on zero hunger have targets that include equal rights to land and productive resources for women and men. So the Global Blueprint for Development recognizes the importance of women's tenure rights. What are the negative problems that this throws up in the community when women don't have this particular stake in society, decision-making, land rights, etc.? In these societies, women do get access to land, uh, but their access is derived mostly from you know, their husbands or male relatives in many customary communities. And so that presents problems for them because, uh, number one, agricultural extension services, for example, target the the owner, the registered owner, or the recognized owner, usually the men, obviously, or the head of the family. So they don't get those types of services, which would, would help them, right, make the land more productive. Another challenge is usually women get smaller plots and less valuable plots. You can expect that the, the main owner would reserve the bigger and more valuable plots for their own farming, right, for their own cultivation. And so with smaller plots and less valuable or less fertile, and given that colliding with women's responsibility for primary household production that puts them at a disadvantage, right? It makes their job harder for them. It's another practical challenge. Others, for example, in cases of land investments, when land is purchased or investors come in, they deal with community leaders and those who are recognized owners. And when compensation is paid, women don't get any of that. Or when resettlement happens, they don't form part of the decision-making because they're not the owners. And so in general, not being the recognized owner excludes them from major decision-making. How difficult is it to, to fix this problem? This problem has been recognized and uh, the development community has been trying to fix this problem for many years. And there are several ways to do it. One way that would help women in collectively held lands is to recognize, formally or legally recognize, the rights of the community itself. So when the community has rights, obviously the entire community benefits. But um, our study shows that um, as far as women are concerned, it's not enough that the community's rights are recognized. The uh, policy must give explicit mandates recognizing women's rights within the collective. And so there are, for example, titling initiatives. Another type of intervention is, um, you know, when the state doesn't want to cede formal title to communities, they can devolve control over lands and resources to communities. How much progress has been made around the world on these issues? Is it something that, uh, you know, the tide of history is already sweeping along? Or is it something where, you know, looking forward, 
to the future. It'll be fixed in some parts of the world, but other areas will be, you know, stubbornly remain a challenge. Well, we can look at it in two levels, Nicholas. As far as recognition of community land rights go, there is broad recognition of the need for communities to have secure or formal rights to their lands and territories. Many governments have started to pass laws uh, or land laws that um, acknowledge customary land rights or collective land rights. The issue is that unless there is explicit recognition that women have to have rights in their individual capacity, giving women at least that legitimacy or recognition um, that they are rights holders in their individual capacity um, can do a lot of benefit. And that was Celine Salcedo Lavinia ending this WRI Big Ideas into Action podcast on the issue of women's rights on communally held land. You can find the paper that Celine co-authored titled On Equal Ground in the research section of our website wri.org. You can also find other Big Ideas Into Action podcasts on everything from safe roads in sustainable cities to the importance of clean air. You can also subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favourite podcast app is. I'm Nicholas Walton. Thanks for listening.